Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Father God, thank you very much for, uh, thank you for your Torah. Thank you for this group of people that came out tonight to study it. And I'd ask that you just be in our conversation. Help us as we, as we read your word and try to understand exactly, exactly what you mean and what you have for us. I know you have something in here for each of us tonight. And uh, I just uh, thank you for, our, for my family. And I ask that you bless our time together as we study your Torah. In Yeshua's name, amen. So last uh, week, we took the, we're in Numbers chapter 26-ish, okay? And 26 is mostly the uh, second census. We talked about how the first part of Numbers, the first few chapters of Numbers is a census that they took of the nation of Israel um, just after they got out of Egypt. And then the one here in chapter 26 is the one they took after wandering around the desert for 40 years, okay? So we looked at some of the differences between the two and kind of talked about that a little bit. Then we went into chapter 27 and talked about Zelophehad's daughters. And there's a, a woman in the front row that's shake, not shaking her head as though we didn't do that. Did we talk about Zelophehad's daughters? I didn't want to. Well, okay. All right. How many people think we talked about Zelophehad's daughters? All right. Oh, yeah, I've been through a time or two, so I, I kind of already know what it says. Okay, fine. We'll talk about it. Um, so we really should have said we're starting in chapter 27. But anyway, we're going to get to the good part here in a minute. Zelophehad's daughter's all right, but we've got better stuff. So would somebody like to read chapter 27, the first 11 verses? Chapter 27, Numbers 27 from verse 1 to 11. 1 through 11. Oh, you just did this because you wanted to read it. I know you. Okay. Going over here? Weren't you listening? From where to where do well, I read? You weren't listening? From chapter 27, Numbers 27, from verse 1 through verse 11. Okay. The daughters of Zelophehad, son of Hefer, son of Gelead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, son of Joseph, drew near. These are the names of their daughters, Mala, Mala, Noach, Hogla, Milcha, and Kirza. They stood before Moses, before Moshe, uh, before Eleazar the Kohen, and before the leaders of the entire assembly in the entrance to the tent of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, and he was not among the assembly that was gathering against Hashem in the assembly of Korah, but he died of his, of his own sin. He had no sons. Why should the name of our fathers be omitted from among the family because he had no son? Give us a possession from among our father's brothers. And Moshe brought their claim before, before Yehovah. Yehovah said to Moshe, saying, the daughters of Zelophehad speak properly. 
You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among the brothers of their father. You shall cause the inheritance of their father to pass over them. And the children of Israel, you shall speak, saying, If a man will die and he has no son, you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. If he has no daughter, you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, you shall give his inheritance to the brothers of his father. If there are no brothers of his father, you shall give his inheritance to his relative who is, close, who is closest to him and his family, to him of his family, and he shall inherit it. This shall be for the children of Israel as a decree of justice, as Yahweh commanded Moshe. Okay. You don't think we read that, huh? I thought we did, too. I guess Sorry. we did. Yeah, thank you. I guess we, we did. did. We did. I Okay, so we did talk about it, and what was the major, what was the point? If somebody, you know, on, in a Trivial Pursuit question asks you, what, uh, what, tell me about the, the story of the Zalafahad's daughters, what's it about? The land stays with the appointed tribe. Yeah, if, if a father has no sons, but he has daughters, then the daughters can inherit the land. That's, that's basically the, the upshot of all this. If, well, we're getting to that part. See, we're, Zalafahad's daughters actually come up three times in the book of Numbers, and it's all the same story. So we haven't gotten to that part yet, and when we get there, I bet you tell me we didn't do it either. Uh -huh. <laughs> okay, Is there, are there any other questions or comments about Zalafahad's daughters? Good, then I wanted to get to the next section. This, uh, who would like to read... Um, Numbers 27 from verse 12 to the end. Okay. Verse 12. Then the Adonai said to Moses, Go up this mountain of the Abarim range and look at the land that I have given to Benai Israel. When you have seen it, you will be gathered to your people just as Aaron, your brother, was gathered. <clears throat> For in the wilderness of Zin, during the strife of the community, you both rebelled against my word instead of honoring me as holy at the waters before their eyes. These were the waters of Meribah at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Moses spoke to Adonai, saying, May Adonai, God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the community to go out and come in before them, who will lead them out and bring them out, so that the people of Adonai will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Adonai said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is uh, Ruach, and lay your hand on him. You will have him stand before Eleazar, the Kohen, and the entire assembly and mission, and commission him before their eyes. Give to him some of your authority, so that the whole community of Benai Israel will obey him. He will stand before Eleazar, the Kohen, who will 
pray and obtain judgments for him by Urim and before Adonai. At his mouth, they will go out, and at his mouth, they will come in. He and all the community of Benai, Israel, with him. Moses did as Adonai commanded him. He took Joshua, stood him before Eleazar, the Kohen, and all the entire assembly. Then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him just as Adonai had spoken by, had spoken by Moses' hand. Okay, thank you. So, short little passage. We've got some fun stuff in there. Let's go back to the beginning. So, what did God tell Moses to do at the very beginning of the passage? says, go up this mountain on the Abarim range and see the land that I have given Israel, given the Israelites. And there's a, we'll talk about it more when we get to the book of Numbers, but up there, this is where Mount Nebo is. And you can go to Mount Nebo. I've been to Mount Nebo. It's pretty cool. You're up on a pretty good-sized hill, and you can look off to the west, and you can look down into the Dead Sea Valley, and you can see the Dead Sea, and you can see the hills rise on the other side. And I, I honestly think that if it were a clear day, you could see clear to the Mediterranean. It's not that far. But it's never been, it was never that clear when I was there. It was always hazy and, you know, you couldn't really see it. But you can see all the way to the Mediterranean. And when you turn left and look down that way, you can see practically all the way down to the Gulf of Aqaba. And when you look to the north, you can, you can see Mount Hermon up there with snow on it. So you can see all of Israel from, from that mountaintop. Yeah. Was it round-shaped? Yes. Yes, it's not a big flat thing. It's, why do you ask? Is this a joke? It wasn't flat? The, the Mediterranean wasn't flat? It was rounded? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't tell that. Anyway, <laughs> moving right along. Um, and then he said, what did God say to Moses? No, no, no. You go too far. What, what did God tell Moses right after he said, go up to the mountain and look at the land I'm going to give to the Israelites? Yeah. Now, how do you suppose Moses felt about that? What would you think if you were Moses? I mean, number one, we know it's not a surprise because we know we've covered the part where God got mad at Aaron and he for what they did by beating the rock instead of speaking to the rock. So we know what's going on here. But I don't know, I just, I, as I get older, I actually kind of think that'd be kind of a good thing. If you knew that God was, uh, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, you're done now. This is the end. So go up and I'll show you all the land that you don't get to go into because you misbehaved. Um, and then you'll, I'll gather you to your people. It's Meyer. Yeah. So you don't know, are you suggesting you don't know what that means? No, I don't know what it means. That's why I think it's a good thing. Oh, well, yeah, sure, sure. But bottom line, he's, he's, he's going up the hill and he's not coming back. Okay, yeah. So an answer to your question, how do I imagine he would feel is, okay, I'll speak into the mic. Testing, <laughs> one, two, three, can you hear me now? All right. I'm not going to drop the mic. Um, okay. No, I, I think he expressed how he felt in terms of, one, he was in charge of that large congregation, you know, the Israelites, and that was a weighty responsibility. Yeah. So... Who's going to take over from here, you know? Yeah. That kind of question, because 
I, I think that's where his heart was. Yep, I, that's, that's exactly where I was going. I mean, I would feel a little bit, I mean, I have a whole bunch of different emotions, you know, uh, but the first thing, what's the first thing Moses says? He says, please find someone to take care of this group of people. So what does that show that Moses has first in his life? He has spent the last, what, 80 years, basically, taking care of these people. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and let's look at the way he says it. In verse 15, he says to Yahweh, May Yahweh, the God of the spirits of all mankind, that's what mine says, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so that Yahweh's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. The spirits of all flesh. Is that is what yours says? Is the King James. Okay. But it's, it's, uh, it's not a very... Basar is the word flesh. I don't know if... I didn't really check this out, but I don't know of any other place where he refers to God quite that way. I remember one place that did kind of come to mind. What do you I'll, mean? I'll do this and then I'll let you... Is that uh, when... when Abraham was having his conversation with the visitors uh, before they went down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he was doing his negotiating about will you destroy it if there are ten good people, and he, he was, you know, winding the number down. And uh, one place in that argument or that, that conversation, he says, surely the God of all the universe will do what's right. You know, he, he's, he's not going to destroy the good along with the evil. And so it's, it's, I think it's that kind of a mindset that they're really trying to talk about here. Pat. Well, I was caught in verse 12 yep. that it mentions that they're going to be given something God has preordained, their land, mm -hmm. of course. Mm -hmm. So he's not just thinking of how they feel about it. He's also recognizing that God has offered them a gift and he's honoring him in that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Go ahead. I will, this I reminds nice. me of Hebrews 11, though, because, you know, actually, that he gave it to Yehoshua. Yehoshua is such a picture of Yeshua to begin with. You always do this. We're not there yet. Okay, well, do you want me to wait? No, no, go ahead. I'll go ahead. wait. Because, well, do you want me to? I can wait. Well, 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 let me ask the question. So who did God choose? Yehoshua. Ah, let's talk about him for a few minutes. Okay. And, and because Yehoshua shows up. He shows up in the beginning. He just comes out of nowhere. I mean, you where, know. Where was the first time he showed up? Amalek. When okay. he, he took care of the Amalekites. That's and just was, when they were leaving a Egypt. warrior, yep. yes. And so, and he goes everywhere Moses goes. Where else? Where does he show up next? Yeah, yep. Mount Sinai. He went, he went with Moses. Yeah, he went with Moses up Mount Sinai. All the way up. Well, he couldn't go to the very top, but he hung around in the middle right. because he didn't know what was going on at camp. When Moses came back down and got him, and they went to camp, uh, Joshua says, oh, it sounds like you know, dancing in the camp or something like that. And I forgot what it exactly says, but Moses says, no, that's not the sound you're listening to. <laughs> well, um, 
But the thing is, to me, it's such a picture of Yeshua because Yeshua is sort of in the background, you know. Yeah. And then he comes forth and he's the one leading them into the land. Yeah. And it says that all of them saw the land, but they didn't go in. I mean, the ones that came before us, mm-hmm. including Moshe. Yeah. You know, that he saw it, but he didn't get to go in. So, you know, and, and Yehoshua goes in. And so I just think... You know, that's kind of a precursor of really what's well, He definitely does that. As a matter of fact, happening. don't you think it's uh, highly appropriate that he would have the same name? Uh, definitely. <laughs> no, that's a very good point. It's, it's, and that's you what I was going to do. You said all of Israel saw the land, the people that died in the desert? No, I, the one named in the Oh. Yeah. Yeah, well. Yeah, okay. Anyway. I, I, I agree with you in that Joshua is a great type of Yeshua. He's, a, he's a, the, and when you look at him, not only, like I said, you were right, you go back to the Amalekites and you can follow what Joshua was doing. You remember, well, you can follow all that he was doing. He would stand outside the tent of meeting when Moses was in, inside, and he was always, like you say, right there beside him. And then you read the book of Joshua, and boy, he's exemplary in that book too. I mean, yeah, yeah. Joshua was a, an admirable character, to say the least. So I, I have a question for you. Sure. So when uh, Moses went up to, I guess, not to come down for the last time I died, why was uh, Michael and the angel and the, the devil disputing over Moses' body? What was the reason for that? No, no, that's a good question. What do you think? Maybe if, I guess, if he possessed a body and came back down, he can teach them his own words or ways or whatever. Or, uh, I, I don't, don't have a good answer for that. I haven't, uh, John might. Because he killed a man. Oh, that's, that's a fair answer. Uh, Moses did kill a guy, right? He was uh, guilty of murder. Then he looked around. Did to make sure nobody saw him. Nobody saw me? And then he ran. Well, uh, one assumes so. He certainly, I could, I could argue he certainly made atonement by taking these yo-yos around the desert for 40 years. <laughs> That's a good question. That, you're referring to a thing in Joe, or Jude, right? Uh, yeah. The book of Jude. Yeah, I've never really understood that, quite honestly. What chapter? Ha, ha, ha. Trick question. There's only one um, I have another question I want to, like to ask here. Yes. Since... Pure conjecture. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the body would not... <laughs> okay. So that the body would not be idolized, worshipped. Yep. If put it yep. someplace where I, I, they would find it and say, okay, now that would become an idol, yep. so to speak. Yep. Well, like they always worship at you know, different tombs. There's no tomb for Moses. Right. Right. That's exactly right. Whenever you go up to the top of Mount Nebo up there. There, as in all places over there, there's some Roman Catholic thing. Uh, but then there's this very interesting modern-looking statue um, that's supposed to represent the spirit of Moses or something. And it, nobody knows whether that's Moses, where Moses was really buried or not. Probably not. But it's certainly Mount Nebo. And it's certainly, you know, within, I don't know, mile or so of where he was probably buried. But it's a pretty interesting thing. Because can you imagine if they kept track of his body where it was buried? Yep. 
now what they would do with it if they had his DNA? Very good point. Well, not only that, but you know, we know, for example, where Moses' bone, or I'm sorry, Joseph's bones are, and we know where the patriarchs are buried, and you, they're there, right? There, obviously, there are many, many Jewish believers who would bite you tooth and nail if you wanted to do something like you're suggesting, but yeah, we know where they are. So as we go along here, uh, moving along in, in verse 16, so Yahweh said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, the man in whom is the spirit, or my spirit, and lay your hand on him, have him stand before Eleazar the priest in the entire assembly, and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority, so the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Eleazar the priest, who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before Yahweh. At his command, the entire community uh, will go out and come in. Um, what verse did you just read? I'm reading verses 18 through 21. You said 16. Um, there's a couple of things I wanted to just ask about there. First of all, why do you think it was necessary to bring Joshua in front of the people and to lay his hand on him and to commission him and to do all of this So go ahead and tell me, to avoid what happened with Aaron? To avoid what happened, where they were questioning, well, who put you in charge? Who yeah. made you the guy? Yeah. Well, okay, we're going to put the, all the sticks of the tribe, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the proof. Yep. You saw it. Boom. That's essentially what I was thinking. The, the point is, and you know, there's another place where that happened. When um, uh, Joseph blew old Pharaoh's socks off telling him what his dream meant, and so Pharaoh promoted him from slave to number two in Egypt. He put him in his, in his chariot, and he had him ride around all over the kingdom with, with people announcing, here is the number two guy in Egypt. And it's a similar kind of a thing, that, and it's exactly your point. He didn't want anybody to be able to doubt that this is God here, of course, but he didn't want anyone to doubt that this was God's choice for the job. That's important. We go back to 17. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I'm okay with that. I figured you would. Did we go over the past that he said he, he referred to him as a shepherd? Um, that the congregation of Yahweh be not as sheep with no shepherd. Yes. Yes, we didn't. I didn't talk about that. Go ahead. <clears throat> well, he's referring, he, he's, Moses is saying to God, these people need a shepherd. Yes. So <laughs> obviously. Doesn't he know that? Huh? Yeah. Doesn't he know that? Yeah. Ask me why I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously he's referring to Yeshua, and Yeshua is the you know. That's a very good. He point. came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, for yep. example. Yep, that's very good. So he also gave um, Joshua some of his, what do you call it, his authority. In other words, while Moses still lived, he let Joshua start doing stuff. You know, so again, so that it wouldn't be a question of uh, just a, an abrupt change. It, yeah. Mm -hmm. It mentions the Urim, yeah. but not the Thummim. Thumma, yeah. So, okay, I was going to ask, who remembers what those are? The Urim mm -hmm. and the Thummim? Well, it was the, the thing where, you know, 
the light on the breastplate, supposedly the light on the breastplate would travel around and show them what, what. That's that's one tradition. The, yeah. yeah, that's one tradition. I mean, I don't know exactly. Well, they're, what they're they are very did. mysterious. There's very little written about them. Right. Yeah. So we where, don't. Do you know. know where you'd go to read about them? Where is that? Leviticus. Leviticus. Leviticus yeah. You know where it describes the priestly garments? Yeah. And it describes yeah, this that's breastplate. What I mean, and it the breastplate is this folded the thing, Urim and, the and it's got a little pocket in it. Yeah, and it has. And in it the in pocket there. are what? The Urim and the Thummim. What, what do those mean? It's the, uh, one the of them yay is, and the nay. No, no. One of them is <laughs> the lights. Perfection. Perfection and lights. I don't know why oh, yeah, they're because known as Urim the perfection and the lights, but that's Urim what it means. Yeah. What does Thummim mean? Perfection. Thummim. What does it mean, perfection? It's supposed to mean, I've always seen it translated as perfection. Okay. No. This, you guys are supposed to be able to do that. Yeah. Just a question. Sure. So that's different than the breastplate. The Urim and the Thummim, from what I understand, are objects. Probably not very big. Small objects, maybe stones or something like stones. But they're not on the breastplate? No. Well, those, what's on the breastplate are 12 gemstones, each gemstone representing a tribe. Right. But these two things sit inside. You know, the... Like I say, the breastplate folds oh, yeah. like this, yeah. and they're inside. And the only guy that can manage those or deal with them or whatever is the high priest. He's the one that wears them, and he's the one that uses them, and it says here exactly what for. He says, uh, he is to stand before Eleazar the priest, who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before Yahweh. It's in Exodus 28, not Levit the first time. Mm-hmm. That's, I just, you know, I, I think it's important to get all these, all these little, there's little threads all over everywhere, and it's amazing, they all tie together. Cool. Okay, any other things about uh, Joshua replacing Moses? Any other thoughts? By the way, we're going to, oh, I, I meant to say this earlier, but I'll say it now. Next week uh, is on Tuesday, a week from today, is Yom Teruah. The Feast of Trumpets. And since we're going to be here blowing trumpets and having a good time, we won't do our Torah study next week. But we'll pick up where we left off the following week. Okay? Um, that was one of the things I was going to say. Oh, the other thing is, is we're approaching uh, the end of Numbers, and the last book of the Torah, of course, is Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is a really good book, and we're really going to have a good time with that. Um, and I had some reason, oh, I know, I'll have Deuteronomy books available probably whenever we meet again next. You can get those. Yeah. What are we going to do? do you next Tuesday? Next Tuesday we're going to blow trumpets. We're going to celebrate the Yom Teruah. Yeah. I, I don't know. What else, do you remember what we're exactly doing on Yom Teruah? Okay. So, uh, We're all going to be blowing shofars. There'll be more information about that on Shabbat. And there's also more information on the website, but I can't remember what it says. Okay. Just, no. He thinks so. Oneg, he thinks so. 
Okay, I, I meant to say all that. And forgot. Any other before we go on? So chapter 28. Now chapter 28 is going to start a lot of fun. 28 and 29, we'll have some interesting discussions. Who would like to read chapter 28 through uh, verse 15? The first 15 verses of chapter 28. Great. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, Command the children of Israel, and you shall say to them, Take heed to bring my offering, my food, for my offerings made by fire as a sweet fragrance to me at their appointed time. And you shall say to them, This is the offering made by fire which you bring to Yahweh, two male lambs, a year old, perfect ones, daily, a continual ascending offering. The one lamb you prepare in the morning and the other lamb you prepare between the evenings. With one-tenth of an ephah, a fine flour, as a grain offering mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil, a continual ascending offering which was offered at Mount Sinai for a sweet fragrance, an offering made by fire to Yahweh, and its drink offering, one-fourth of a hen for each lamb, pour out the drink to Yahweh as an offering in the set-apart place. And the other lamb you shall prepare between the evenings as the morning grain offering and its drink offering. You prepare it as an offering made by fire, a sweet fragrance to Yahweh. Let me, let me let you pause for just a minute, and let's talk about what we just read. So what offerings are these that we just read about? She read to verse 8. These are the, the daily offerings, the regular daily offerings. How many of them are there on each day? Two, right? And when are they? One in the morning and one in the evening. Traditionally, one at 9 o'clock and one at 3 o'clock. Okay? So a lot of people have their alarms set so that you can recognize those times because those were supposed to be done every single day. Not three in the morning. One at nine and one at three. The one at nine is in the morning and the one at three is in the afternoon. Okay, yes. 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 These are the daily offerings <laughs> that they refer to when, when and if they're, I shouldn't say when, when the temple is rebuilt. Yes. Um, okay, I just wanted to clarify. And what were the offerings? A lamb. They were burnt offerings, you're right, but they were a lamb. And a, drink a lamb offering? in the morning and a lamb in the afternoon. And along, well, it says that. Verse 4. It also mentions a drink. Prepare drink. one lamb in the morning and the other at twilight. So it says lamb. And then it also has a grain offering that goes with it and a wine or a drink offering that goes with it. it then, yeah. He'll wait for you. He's a nice guy. I never noticed this before, but what's going on with the strong drink? Why does it say strong? Let's see. I it was brandy. It. it was drinking brandy, brandy, not just drink wine. Brandy. Verse 7. It's, uh, strong drink. 28, 7. 
Mine says fermented drink. Accompanying drink offering is to be a quarter of a hen of fermented drink with each lamb. Does That's interesting. In never, I thought it was wine. I never had really noticed that either. <laughs> yeah, intoxicating libation. Yeah. Don't know. Don't know what to think about that. Hmm? Fermented, yeah. Well, wine is fermented. No, 28, uh, 7. Fermented drink. I'm, 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 traditionally, it's been wine, but... He's a nice guy, too. So the libation offerings were oftentimes either a strong drink, which, you know, I'm not sure any of us know. Maybe the rabbis can speculate, or it could have been of wine. So the libation would have been one of the two. Scripture talks about three different types of drinks. It talks of a beer, it talks about a wine, it talks about a strong drink, kind of like what we know today. We know there's a, there's a strong drink. It's pretty heavy alcoholic. Uh, your wine, which is... Uh, I believe was probably watered down a little bit than from what we would traditionally call wine today, and uh, and maybe some drank it a little stronger. But uh, and then you had your fermented uh, beer beer items as well. So, huh? Well, beer beer, beer was a pretty common thing yep. because it was a way of preserving water. Yeah. No, this this one talks about strong drink, shakar. I can show you the beer passage, but uh, so obviously the you know this these items were being poured out on the altar as a drink offering, a libation offering, and it was done at at feasts too. The feasts had, especially the ones coming up, had uh, you know requirement for libation offerings to be poured out on it. Now, like I say, to me, this showing I know way too much about this. Um, wine is fermented. But the, the strong drink is distilled, and that's a pretty big deal. Distilling is not a trivial thing to do. I'm not saying they didn't do it, but I bet they didn't do it very often. So I bet it was wine. That's my opinion, worth exactly what you pay for. Yes, you need to hold the microphone when you get it back anyway, because you can read some more. Well, mine didn't even say strong drink. Mine just says wine. Just says wine, huh? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, it says drink. It doesn't say wine. It just says, it says a drink, drink. offering. Yeah. And it doesn't okay. even have strong, so... Okay. I, okay. Yeah. Mark? <laughs> I love this. And so I like this chapter 28 because this is the chapter that really nails it down and hones in for us the importance of the morning and evening offering. Mm -hmm. And as I guess you've already mentioned in verse 2, um, where it says a point of time, it's the Hebrew word moed. So a moed is the appointed times. So if this is an appointed time, then it's like the other moeds. Yeah. It's an appointment, yeah. and it's to be kept. So uh, by us offering our the fruit of our lips, we are engaging in the ancient practice of offering up an offering at these two appointed times, these sacred times. Mm -hmm. Good. Thanks. I just noticed it said poured. They didn't drink it. They no, they poured, poured it out. It. Yeah, they poured it out. So, so it was. Yeah, it was. It wasn't. It was. It was like everybody was getting tipsy doing this, right? 
Okay, give, give it back to Pat. She can continue reading because I cheated her out of the rest of it here. I just wanted to mention, I'm not sure where it's at, but it talks about um, a feast where it says that, that uh, just uh, something else about a strong drink. Well, to say, what it, you know. I'll tell you what it says. Okay. And we're, it's in Deuteronomy. Okay. What it says is, during Sukkot, mm -hmm. you're supposed to bring your tithe to Jerusalem, yeah. the city on which you'll put his name. Yeah. But if God has blessed you so much that it's difficult or impossible for you to get your whole tithe there, then you can sell your tithe where you live, take money, and when you go to celebrate the feast, you could use the money to buy food, strong drink, and celebrate. Yes. That's, that's yeah. It's one of my favorite I just remember verses. that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that part. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So, go on, go on if you want. Okay, I think I was on 11. No, 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 it's uh, ten, nine. I want you to start nine? with nine. Okay. And on the Sabbath day, two lambs, a year old, perfect ones, and two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour as a grain offering, mixed with oil, with its drink offering. The ascending offering for every Sabbath beside the continual ascending offering with its drink offering. Okay, that just that one is for what? No, it's Shabbat. Yeah. That's Shabbat. So it says, what we read about first was every single day. Every single day. This one is on Shabbat. On Shabbat, it says, make an offering of two lambs a year old without defect. In addition to, at the end there, it says, this is in addition to the regular burnt offering. So, so it's starting at the bottom. It's starting, okay, every day you do this. Okay. Every day you do the, the twice a day thing. Then on Shabbat, you do, you do two lambs for Shabbat because it's Shabbat. Now then, we'll move on to verse 11. Okay? So if you want to read from 11 to 5, through 15. And on the beginning of the new moons, you shall you bring near an ascending offering to Yahweh, two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs, a year old, perfect ones, three-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour, as a grain offering, mixed with oil for each bull, two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil for the ram, and one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering for each lamb as an ascending offering of sweet fragrance, an offering made by fire to Yahweh. And their drink, and their drink offering is half a hen of wine for a bull and one-third of a hen for a ram and one-fourth of a hen for a lamb. This is the ascending offering for each new moon throughout the new moons of the year. But and, it, does that, have you read 15? I haven't read. Okay, read 15, sorry. And one male goat as a sin offering to Yahweh to prepare besides the continual ascending offering and its drink offering. Okay, so this section she just read is about what? The new moon, Rosh Kodesh, as in Hebrew, right? Rosh's head. Kodesh, I guess, of the month. Moon, have you ever noticed how moon and month are very similar words? There's a good reason for that, right? And we, go ahead. It says, um, fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering. 
what's it for? Oh, they would burn that. Mm -hmm. They burnt it. Um, these new moons, I, I always, it was one of the big revelations I had coming into this was realizing that having been raised um, outside of this, you know, I used to get these calendars and they had these funny little symbols of the moon on the calendars and I always thought, what are, what are those for? Why are they even there? Someone told me and I thought, well, whoever looks at those, the answer, of course, was nobody, right? But the, if you use the calendar the way God defines the calendar, the moon's pretty important, right? It, uh, it tells you the beginning of every month. And it's really, I think it's really neat the way when God defines things, most all of his feast days occur on the middle of the month. In the middle of the month is when there's a full moon. And so you can kind of see what's going on. What's, what one feast day does not occur on the middle of the month? Yom Teruah, the one coming up here next week. And that occurs on the full moon, on the first of the month. And we'll talk about that for a minute, but go ahead, John. It occurs on the new moon, not a full moon. Well, I'm sorry, new moon. I said the wrong word. Right. Uh, oh, back to your calendar thing. It's also interesting that the first day of the week on the calendar, or it used to be anyway, was Sunday. Mm-hmm. Which was correct. Yes. Yes, yeah. Well, they still do it sometimes, you know, but in Europe they don't. Uh, anyway, so how do you define the new moon? New or full? Yeah, I was just going to talk about it for a little bit. New. New. When does the month start? Tell me when, how you define the first of the month. Well, there's a difference of opinion on that. <laughs> I don't think it's that big a deal, really. Go ahead, Margaret. The opposite of full moon. How about that? The opposite of full. I think this last week, couple of weeks, the eclipse. What about the, the eclipse? The eclipse. That was the conjunction of the moon and the sun, the moon covering the earth. That was right after that. That's when the new moon starts. That's when it starts giving light. Well, new moons. No. Go ahead. No. During the eclipse, it was a new moon. After, right after the conjunction is a. It, it was a new moon, mm -hmm. and you start seeing it after it phases out. Then you start seeing it. But the light from the new moon is usually. I've observed many new moons. And the earliest I've, I've seen is uh, 18 hours, if you know exactly where to look. And, and usually you have a pretty good idea. If in the morning you get up early and you see the waning moon and you kind of know the location of where it's going to be, then at sunset you'll, you'll know where the new moon will be also in relation to the sun. There's... Um, People that keep the new moon by a visual observance, which is only, uh, like I say, 19 hours afterwards. Some, some people keep it yep. from Jerusalem visible. Yep. Um, that's scripture in Samuel. I forget where. <laughs> where in Samuel, right. Where Jonathan is talking to David, mm -hmm. and he says, tomorrow is the new moon. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, how is he going to know that it's in the new moon? He probably saw that crescent mm -hmm. that morning or the day before. Mm -hmm. It could be, you know, depending on. And, and my question is, for me, it's like, okay, we got a new moon. When do we observe the new moon day? Mm -hmm. So uh, I personally 
have changed from the visible moon to the the day beginning at sunset. Mm -hmm. I guess some people keep it from the day of the conjunction. That's the new moon. But then you're observing the new moon as part of the old day. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It's, There's discussion, it's, uh, I guess. It's inconvenient <laughs> that the new moon doesn't occur at sunset every time, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah there is an and, issue. And, well, and then you also have the issue that the new moon is new at different times depending on your location on the Earth. Right, right. Because yeah. the moon has a the moon has a, um, an orbit. Right, an orbit, and it goes up and down. So there's times when you can only see the visible moon, the the newest new, new moon. Mm -hmm. um, only in South America and in the Southern Hemisphere. And then yep. there are times when you can see it in the Northern Hemisphere. Yep. So there's a lot of stuff about the new moon. But the thing I think that's important is that we need to observe it with a special observance of yeah. some kind. We need Either, to mark it. Right. Well, this is what, they, this is what right. they're doing here. They're marking the new moon. As Mark would say, right. it's one of the Moed. Right. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> so she talked about the eclipse I find it interesting that God gives other witnesses to this event of a new moon one of them being an eclipse just like a lunar eclipse is giving a testimony to the middle of the month the solar eclipse is giving a testimony to the beginning they're exactly 15 days apart, okay. which is exactly the way the calendar counts out in his calendar. Yep. He gives a second witness to the new moon. Anybody know what it is? Something that happens, you don't need to actually see the moon. Well, it's, it's not visible. The tide. Oh, the tide. That's right. The tide would do it. The tide will do its thing in unity with the solar eclipse. Yep. I believe that. So God's giving two witnesses. So... People would say, well, how did they know when it was a new moon? Because if it was cloudy, they didn't know what to do. All they had to do is go out there to the ocean water, and they could tell by the water. It's doing its thing in unity with that moon. So God's what? not leaving us as blind men groping. No. We have the things that he created. They're obeying what he said to do. We just have to observe it. Yeah. And what uh, Margaret was saying is it does need to be by visual. And it's it's pretty easy to do if you're if you're watching uh, when that moon is waning and you can't see it and then you see it waning and then the next morning you can't see it. Well, that night, it's, you're ready to go, and, uh, which is 12 hours beyond the conjunction. So I, and I was just, interesting you guys are talking about that. I was just reading in the Sanhedrin, the, in the day of, of Yeshua, Gamliel requested two witnesses to come to tell him, that they had seen the new moon, or, you know, a, a witness. They gave the people till noon to give a testimony. So if Gamliel is waiting for people to give a testimony till noon, and this is recorded in all of their, all the texts, the Mishnah, the Talmud, all of that, if they're waiting until noon, if it was going by a sliver in the east, and they're waiting till noon for people that have saw in the sliver. Well, the day's already began. And so if they wait till noon, there's only about four hours left in the day to have any kind of Rosh Kodesh. So it can't be that witness. No. Well, not, 
not only well that gets back to this whole it, thing it about may have the been observing. the witness that morning yeah that they saw this like david said tomorrow's a new moon meaning at, at sundown tonight begins the new day because he also saw the witness that morning yeah. well number one you can count it it's not like it's going to change you know it, it counts it's it's very regular and the other thing is, is the problem with the, the sighting of the new moon is that when you see it, you can say, oh, yesterday must have been the first. Well, that doesn't do you any good. You want to know that yesterday was the first. You want to know that today is or tomorrow is, right? So I think counting is the only thing, which, that which is the conjunction. Counting is the only thing that really makes sense. And you can predict it easy enough and be right. Okay, Ward. I just wanted to mention one interesting thing I found out about the new moon in the last six months in doing my research, that during the new moon, we do not have any technology that can detect the moon. You can't see it with the telescope, you can't see it in the infrared, you can't see it in the ultraviolet, you can't see it in the x-ray, you can't, literally, NASA, nobody can detect the moon. It might as well not be there which I guess is why it's a good name to call it the new moon when it shows up. <laughs> yeah. Because it might as well have gone away and come back. So I, th I thought that was interesting that you, that, you know, we have literally no technology, no ability to detect it. But like Mark says, if you're paying attention, then you've seen it wane. You've seen it go to where it's almost not there. So you know what tomorrow is, and you then know what the next day is. If you really want to... Uh see a study on the new moon on our website i have a really good video teaching on the new moon on our website and i bring out some interesting observances for example when does life begin for a baby when the baby sprouts out from the womb or while the baby's in the womb under covering in the womb under cover when does the seed begin life once it sprouts or under the ground under covering so when would the month begin when the light sprouts on the moon or when it's covered. Yeah, that, that fits. Yeah. yeah. That fits. Yep. I knew we'd get into this. This is fun. Next Tuesday. Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, okay. Okay, I know uh, about the moons because my grandpa, he's... Um, Working with the wood, he's cut the trees when the moon is full. Because he say when the moon is full, the wood is, is more durable than the, when they cut in, in different seasons of the moon. I know the moon, I know because I learned with him, the moon is seven days to seven days to seven days. When this moon, new moon is seven days, another seven days is for growing, another day is for uh, full and we go empty when they start growing at the three days I remember that they start pruning the trees or planting seeds because when they do in this time the fruit are bigger or the plant the plants grow, grow stronger I learned in this very child and I know we have a calendar they they call almanac yeah and by the almanac, we follow all the moons. Yeah. Um, and they have a, some things when the born child and the new moon, all moon, they be sickness, weakness, or something like that. I hear that word for the old people. Because I, when I'm child, I'm growing up around a lot of old people. And I, 
I don't feel good with the children so my age because they don't have nothing to tell. I can't understand it. But uh, this is the moon. Is you, when you see the full moon, you start counting. The day is full. You start counting. It's going to decline for seven days. Yeah. You know? Yep. This is the process every time. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. Just a second. I think I think there's another scripture that, and and I'm not good at remembering scriptures. It's where they're at, and I'm slow at finding them. Um, but there's the scripture that says, "Winter, summer, fall, all the seasons," and and the, and I I don't know if it specifically mentions the moons. They will not fail. They will not fail. Yeah. So we know that we're going to have the seasons. That's a that's a promise. That's yep. for sure. Yep. Yep. Except for that pesky global warming stuff. Just wanted to say, um, NASA says that the full moon is in the dark of the moon. Yeah. Well, I what I was, what I had read, and I don't know if it makes a lot of difference at this point, but the it's the conjunction is defined as when the Earth, the moon, and the sun are in a line. Now, that's not an eclipse necessarily, but that's the conjunction. And when they're in a line, you can't see the moon. Yeah, the other way. Yeah. The, the, it's, you know, you can't really wrap your mind around it only because there's too much going on at the same time. You know, the Earth's rotating, the moon's going around the Earth, and the Earth's going around the sun all at the same time, theoretically. Okay, anyway, this is probably, as Mark was saying, this is probably more about observing the new moon than anywhere else in Scripture. And all it says is, you know, observe the new moon. It tells you how. It's rather a big deal because you're going to uh, offer up, um, what was it said? It says, two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs. So that's, you know, the, up until this point, we'd done the two lambs every day, and then we added two on Shabbat, but now, once a month, we do something rather big. John. Don't you note that on the, on the schedule, on the website, the, yeah. the new, the new oh, moon? Yeah. yeah, the new moons are listed. Yep, they're, they're listed. By the way, what do you observe as we're reading through all this stuff? What is this really about? How many, ca the calendars? Is that what well, you're Well, no, no, what I'm really saying, it's all about what they offer. It tells you what to offer on all of this. So one of the things that's in the book is I put together a big table that shows how much you offer, how much, what the offerings are, and how much they amount to in a year. So I just did a, I got this kind of neat thing in chapter 7, number 7, where they all 12 tribes, that, you know, yep. they do the same thing, and it's all repeated 12 times. Yep. Is it, uh, I was just checking, is it similar to that as far as, well, I noticed like there was a goat offering, and it lists it lists all the different holidays, and then it lists what what you're supposed to what they what they sacrifice on all of them, and then it adds them all up at the bottom. The interesting one we haven't gotten to yet, of course, is uh, Sukkot. Sukkot's a big deal, as you could well imagine. Yes. Well, I. Do you have another book? Yes, I have another book. 
Okay, you want to go on? So we've talked about the daily sacrifice, the sacrifice on Shabbat, and the one on the new moon. So who would like to read from verse 16 through 25? Alfonso. And in the first month, on the 14th day, is the Passah of Yahuwah. And on the 15th day of this month is a festival. For seven days, unleavened bread is eaten. On the first day is a Kodesh gathering. You do no servile work. And you shall bring near an offering made by fire as a burnt offering to Yahuwah, two young bulls and one ram, and seven lambs a year old, perfect ones, they are for you. And their green offering, fine flour mixed with oil. Prepare three-tenths parts, for a bull and two tenths parts for a ram. Prepare one tenth part for each of the seven lambs and one goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. Prepare these beside the burnt offering of the morning, which is for a continual burnt offering. According to these, you are to prepare the food of the offering made by fire daily for seven days as a sweet fragrance to Yahweh. It is prepared besides the continual burnt offering and is its drink offering. And on the seventh day, you have a Kodesh gathering. You do no servile work. Okay. So what, what do, the, do the offerings look like for Passover? What? What do the offerings look like for Passover? Sheep with no blemish? Well, yeah. How many? Two young bulls, one ram, and seven male lambs, a year old, without defect, uh, the, with the grain offerings and the drink offerings and all that stuff. And it says, prepare these in addition to the regular morning offering. In this way, prepare the food for the offering made by fire every day for seven days as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. So you do this. this. The nation of Israel does this, right? This is what they did out in the desert every day for the week of unleavened bread. That's what it says, right? So it's a, that's a pretty big deal. It's like, it's like seven first of the month offerings in a row. Mm -hmm. And that's feast, exactly. That's feast. John. Killing of the Lambs is not the, what's the movie? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's a modern day reference. We'll, it, it's not worth it. We don't need to go there. <laughs> One of the things, well, let's see. Well, let's read the next one. Would somebody like to read verse 26 to the end of the chapter? Have you still got Where? the? You, 26? Yeah. Read it. Janice wants to read. Okay. Also in the day of the first fruits, when you bring a new meat offering unto Yahuwah, after your weeks, be out, you shall have only have a holy convocation. You shall no, do no servile work, but you shall offer the burnt offering for a sweet savor unto Yahuwah. Two young bullocks, one ram, seven lambs of the first year, and the meat offering of flour mingled with oil, three tenths steels unto one bullock, two tenths steels unto one ram, a, seven, a, a several tenths steel unto one lamb throughout the seven lambs, 
and one kid of the goats to make an atonement for you. You shall offer them beside the continual burnt offerings and his meat offering. They shall be unto you without blemish and their drink offerings. Okay. So the question is, which feast day is this one? What? Shavuot, right? Shavuot. What does Shavuot mean in English? Weeks. Sevens. It means sevens, basically. Okay, but this is the one that, uh, that, this is the, I think of it, some people consider it to be part of the spring feast. I consider it to be one that says separate. I, I, I like to have little memory aids. So there's three of them in the spring. There's one that kind of sits by itself, and then there's three of them in the fall. Um, the three of them in the spring are Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it's this thing that is, it's kind of a confusion. First fruits is what it's often called, and I think that's a perfectly good name, but they use that term here, which is a little bit confusing. Mark's got a different name. You call it something Rashid, the beginning. Um, but it, it's, it's listed. Where's a better place, or where is another place to find these feast days described? Yeah. Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. You ought to just know that. You know, it's like Hebrews your, chapter 11. There's your pattern right there. The menorah. Right there. Three and, three and then the middle one and then three. Three and then the middle one and three on the end. Yeah. Um, anyway, so this is Shavuot. So the one they didn't talk about really was the one that's in the spring. That's, uh, what do you call it? You call it Rashid, which is the beginning. Yeah. It says first fruits here, but it's really Chabikarim. Yeah. And the one in the spring is uh, Rashid. Mm-hmm which is the first harvest. Mm-hmm. So this is the first of fruits, but that's the first harvest because barley is okay. harvested before everything else. Okay. So they bring all their fruit, though, here. So they're bringing fruit to this harvest, and that's what it's, it's called. And it's also called Feast of Weeks. The one Feast, in spring? No, the one here. No, the one here is. Well, that's, that's sevens. That's there's, yeah, there's another interesting thing about these, and that is how many of these that you're reading in Numbers are equated like the seventh-day Shabbat, a uh, uh, complete rest, a uh, Shabbaton, mm-hmm. a no work at all. Well, some, versus of them, some of them say no servile no work. No servile or laborious work. Yeah. What's the difference? Well, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. One of the things that I was interested in, though, is that it doesn't mention anything about that third feast that sits in the spring, Rashid. It's not mentioned here. And uh, I don't know. But the thing is, is, again, for whatever reason, this listing focuses specifically on the offering. So evidently that's important. Um, it's certainly, I don't know, just point that out. Shabbat? First offering listed. The daily one. Yes. Yeah. Just like in Leviticus 23, what's the first one listed? The seventh the day. Shabbat, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. I mean, I think that's interesting because it means bikur. It's habikarim, but it but it bikur means like firstborn. Well, that'd be first fruits. Yeah, I mean that's just interesting. I can see to me where they that, get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you're right. That's interesting. 
Okay, so we're, we've done the first three. We've done the one in the middle, Shavuot. Now then we can do the last three, the fall feasts. So would somebody like to read chapter 29? Uh, let's just do, well, just, we'll just separate them out. Let's do the first six verses. Sure, sure. If, if Shavuot is likened to firstborn or first fruits, now you know why he, when he took the first sons of Israel out of Egypt, in, you know, the, there was the firstborn of Egypt taken in their place, he brought the first fruits to Sinai as his first fruit offerings of the firstborn. Oh, that fits. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yahweh did, you're saying? That's, that's when the... There? Yeah. Who's going to read? Alfonso. Just through verse 6, if that's okay. You can keep the microphone, though. Because who's going to take it from you? <laughs> and we read from what? From to the first well, 6? Yeah, verse 29 through verse 6. Chapter 29. Chapter 29 through verse 6. <laughs> and in the seventh month, on the first of the month, you have a Kodesh gathering. You do no survival work. It is a Yom Teruah for you. And you shall prepare a burnt offering as a sweet fragrance to Yahuwah. One young bull, one ram, seven lambs a year old, perfect ones. And their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenth parts for the bull, two-tenth parts for the ram, and one-tenth part for each of the seven lambs. And one male goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. Besides the burnt offering with this grain offering for the new moon, the continual burnt offering with this grain offering and, the, and their drink offerings according to their right ruling as a sweet fragrance and offering made by fire to Yahweh. Okay. So this one then is uh, Yom Teruah, which is the blowing of trumpets, which is an interesting one to me. First of all, as we pointed out, it's the only one that uh, occurs on the first of the month. Uh, and you'll notice down there it says um, in verse 6, these are in addition to the monthly and daily burnt offerings with their grain offerings. So you're not only offering the first of the month offering, the way it was defined earlier in what we've read, but you're also offering Yom Teruah, and you're also offering the regular daily offerings. And if that happens to be a Shabbat, it's a triple, right? Yeah, I guess if it was a Shabbat, you'd be all kinds of stuff going on there. Lisa's got something. I think it's interesting that this one has a sin offering. No, they all do. Oh, they all we, do? I just haven't said anything uh, about it. Oh, because I didn't see no, the, this. The goat, I didn't the see that in the, the other ones. The offerings at the end of every one of oh, okay. them. Oh, okay. Except the okay. daily. Okay, I made my yeah. error then. The, um, uh, this is probably a little late to talk about that, but, you know, these moeds, these appointed times, serve two purposes. One purpose, the more obvious purpose, is to recall a time in Israel's history that God intervened and we should, we should uh, remember it. It's a remembrance, okay? But the other thing, the more fun one, is the rehearsal idea. By keeping these feasts and then doing them every year, we're re rehearsing for something yet to come. 
And I know you guys all know this, but you know how the, the first three feasts were uh, fulfilled, if you want to put it that way, with the first coming of Yeshua. And we know, we know what the, the fourth one was. Shavuot uh, was fulfilled at, the, uh, at Pentecost. And, and so the ones that haven't been fulfilled yet are these last three. Now, whenever we talk about blowing of trumpets, what do you think of in terms of future events? Well, that's a good one. Sure. Yep, yep. You know, the trumpets in Revelation says his return will be accompanied by the sound of trumpets. How obvious can it get? <laughs> Don? So I have a different take. I mean, that's, that I'm not disagreeing with okay. what you're saying. Mm -hmm. That's kind of... Kind of plain. Spiritual, I okay. would say. It's kind okay. of... I would be more blunt. It's quid pro quo. All right. If you don't give... Your end of the bargain, you're not honoring the contract. Okay. You're instructed to do this, is yeah, what you're saying. The, yeah. He's giving you the quid mm -hmm. of I'll be your your welfare uh, welfare provider. I'll be your God. Yep. But you have to give me something and you you gotta have skin in the game. Yep. Literally. Yep. And this is it. Yeah. So keeping the what your point being, keeping these appointments is not optional. Well it's it's in terms it's, of the contract. A, it's an element of a, it's a fundamental element of the contract to have quid pro quo. Well, it's interesting John brought that up because, because actually a lot of the rabbis say that um, when you blow the shofar, that it's a cry out to God, that mm -hmm. it's, it's us crying to him. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting thought yeah, that yep. we have to blow it and we have to That's very good point. ask. Yep. Um, <laughs> The word trumpet in Hebrew is yobel, and it means to flow. It means flowing of any substance. Um, it's a bet and a lamed, so it's a it's like a house of the teachings. So it's a flow. So and it also means to exchange, like John said, his quid pro quo. It's not exactly in there, but it says exchange an F for a B or something. So it's it's an exchange. Okay. So I have a question. Good. Uh, this might be... <clears throat> okay, well, anyway, I'm it just going to ask it. <laughs> okay. So my footnote here says that this is the month of Tishri. 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 And it says here that now this is the seventh month, mm -hmm. but it also says that this is the old civil year is mm -hmm. leaving, known as the Ethanim. Okay. I can, but Tisri is the first month of the civil year. Yep. Niacin or Abib is the first month of the sacred year. Can That's, you explain uh, that? Yeah, yeah, I can explain that. The, those concepts were put in after the Torah. Okay, the, the Torah only talks about one year, and it starts in Nisan. So it's what they call the religious year. Uh, but over the years, for various different reasons of their own making, they decided that the civil year, and they made the term up, God didn't, um, starts at the seventh month. And so that's why a lot of times what you'll hear in secular world, they call this Rosh Hashanah, the new year. This is the Jewish new year. Next Tuesday we're going to celebrate the Jewish new year. But it's the Jewish new year, it's not the Hebrew new year. Because the Hebrew new year starts in Nisan, which is the spring. So that's the difference. One is tradition and one is 
scripture. So with my understanding of the Gregorian calendar and what a new year is, it's Niacin, correct? Well, it's... it's Nisan. Sorry, the, I'm not... The new year and a Gregorian calendar is January 1st. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's my understanding. That's yeah. what I was raised with. Yeah. So with knowing that as like, oh, new year, first yeah, yeah, year, yeah. that's Nyasin, correct? Nissan. Nissan. Yeah, I'm sorry. I couldn't understand what you're saying. But yeah, Nissan. <laughs> oh, you know the sad part about that? All of those names for these months are pagan gods. Just irritates the tar out of me. So it doesn't really So that's what, that's what I'm asking, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this is according to the Hebrew, oh, according, according according to the Hebrew, Hebrew calendar, calendar the year starts in Nisan. Not spiritual, just days. Yep. That's yep. the first that's when okay, it starts. That's what I needed to That's do. what the Torah says. Thank you. Yeah. One could say, and maybe Mark will clarify this for me because because one could say that it's still kind of a new beginning. I mean, you know, because because the Supposedly, it's the time when when the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to take place and everything. You know where, where. Um, but you're, it may be true, but you're making all that up. I mean, it, there's nothing in here about that. I I understand I understand that, but I'm just saying. Well, well, because I'm asking this, because I'm unclear on when the. Um, when exactly. The, um, the year of Jubilee is supposed to start because I was always thinking that it starts, it starts actually in the seventh month. I'm not sure. I'll have to go back. I, I understand, I understand the issue. Well, that was my point. Okay. The Torah does, they, they shifted the year. I don't know where it's at, counting from the Passover to, to the fall, or, or the other way around? I don't think they did. Not in the Torah. Well, it's, you may call it something else. No, but it, it, it may be in the Tanakh somewhere, but it's not in the Torah. Oh, I think it's in the Torah, but that's all right. I'm not saying that the, the feasts were different. I'm just saying that they called it, they, they, they shifted the... So the reason for the civil and the... And the uh, um, calendar counting the feasts and everything is uh, the, they count the reigns of the years of the kings from the day of atonement. You're also counting the years of the jubilees from that date. So there is two different countings. The scripture is very clear about two different countings. And so whether or not what emphasis is put on it is one thing, but there is a counting done two different ways from two different points. And so you've got, like I said, obviously the jubilees are from from atonement to atonement. So that's a, a whole counting that's reckoned that we've got to understand uh, how, why is it counted from that date. But king's reigns were counted from those that period as well. Okay. So just it's interesting that that's just the way somehow God set up two different types of, of counting. Yeah. yeah. So be like the fiscal year. To carry on with that, 1 Samuel chapter 8, which is a verse I quote all the time, or a chapter I quote all the time, is when they said they fired God as their king. Yeah, they fired God as their We king. want a king like the nations. Yep. So, uh, Mark, are you suggesting then that that event was Yom Kippur? Or, or, or at the end of uh, the, in the fall? So, Yom Kippur is like 
we're redoing the, the contract again. The, the, we're we're going to, do you, do you, does Israel want to keep doing this? Do they want to re-up and be in covenant with Yahweh? And, and in 1 Samuel chapter 8, it would suggest, no, we don't. Yeah. We want a king like the nations. Yeah. So just let's think this out a minute. So when is man's reign on the earth going to end? In the first month or the seventh month? When is his kingdom going to begin? It's going to, it, the seventh month. That's right. So he's keeping account of when man's reign will end and his reign will begin. Obviously, it's going to happen at the end of atonement. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it, there's, that's why I say there's accounting there that we've got to reckon that but, he's, he's okay. set aside. I give you that. The accounting is, is different, but it's accounting. This, I still maintain the year begins the first of Nisan. That's when the year begins. I mean, now, let me tell you another way I can kind of, quote, prove that. You know, the way the Hebrew calendar works is the first of Nisan is the first new moon after the spring equinox. That's the first of Nisan. Okay? Sometimes things work out such that, that you end up with the ability, you have 13 new moons before you get back around again. And so they have leap months. Pregnant year. Okay? That's Adar, Adar, and Adar too. So... That's another reason why I maintain that the first of the year is the first of Nisan, because that's when you start counting. And that, to me, is the real beauty of this system, because you start anew every time. Every year, you start using the same exact algorithm, but you start at the same exact place. So if, you, if, if because things aren't quite right in terms of the mathematical division, uh, you end up with 13 months sometimes and 12 months other times, it all works out in the end because every, every year they start over. Anyway. Yes, Charlie. Uh, Jerry, I just, I just thought of that because uh, you were talking about the Yom Kippur. Yep. I was just saying that's next week Tuesday, right? Yep. That's exactly right. So I'll be here for that. Yep. yep. I'm sorry, it's Yom Teruah. Excuse me. I get the names all kind of munged together sometimes. It's got a Yom in it. It's got a Yom. It's Yom. Uh, Margaret has something. I did, but if you... What do you have, Lisa? I forgot, so I'm going to give it... Okay, Margaret had something. Uh, do you have a question? I'm going to give it to Margaret first. These feast days are important. There's no end of controversy, but they're important. And the controversy is really pretty minuscule. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, sometimes it does seem kind of confusing when you have the beginning of the the beginning of the month and then they say in the seventh month. But I think Yahweh is pretty much just rounding. He's rounding. And you don't count something until you can round up to the <laughs> next one. That's so fine. I think, I I'll think go with that. I think that's and, how it goes. Yeah, well, I think that. I think also that uh, we do the best we can. And if we're doing the best we can, if it doesn't come out exactly right, it's okay with him. Yeah. In the, in the civil world... You have two calendars if you, as well. You have a calendar year and you have a fiscal year. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of two different kinds of years. So, my question is this, and I don't have to have an answer now, but okay. I want to know if somebody who has an answer. So, why is it that man's reign will end in the fall? Uh, because the fall feasts will accompany his return, they signal his return. 
So I don't know when Yeshua is coming back, okay. but it's no, sometime, no, no. sometime in, it's some tishri sometime. <laughs> yeah, because, the, well, because on Yom Kippur, we're standing, it's, it's a symbol that we're standing before the Father. Yeah, yeah. And we're being judged. Well, and, and, and Sukkot so, is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Right, that's what I mean. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. Could you say instead of being Pat's judged, here. instead uh, of who? Pat. Instead of being judged, could you say we're being held accountable? I like that better. I like to, that better. And I'm not trying to to downplay judgment, but yeah, it, it's like an annual accounting. It's yeah, a yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> I I just heard um, a teaching that I, if I'm pretty sure if I heard this right, that the 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 one in um, the spring, that that was the counting of the months, and the other was the counting of the years. Like there's a counting of the months and a counting of the years. That could be. I don't know. The one in the fall was the counting of the years. I was going to say, is this true? Because you do begin the counting of the months in, at Nissan. The counting of the years are happening uh, at Atonement. Yeah, that's that's right. Okay, let's let's move along because it'd be nice to finish before before the end of the year. Yeah, before the end. Of the year. <laughs> Would somebody like to read? We're just uh, we're almost done here. Uh, verses seven through eleven of chapter twenty-nine. That's real short, and we'll let Lisa do that one. And I'm going to get Alfonso make him read the whole rest of the chapter. On the tenth day of the seventh month, there shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall afflict yourselves. You shall not do any work. You shall offer an elevation offering to Yahweh for a satisfying aroma. One young bull, one ram, seven male lambs in their first year, unblemished shall they be before for you in their meal offering fine flour mixed with oil three three tenth ephah of the bull two tenth ephah for the for one for the one ram though and one tenth ephah for each lamb of the seven lambs one male of the goats for a sin offering aside from the sin offering of the atonement and the Continual elevation offering with with its meal offering and their libations. Okay, thank you. So this is the offering on the Day of Atonement. And if you read, it's, it's kind of relatively typical. Although this was just one young bull, one ram and seven male lambs. A goat for a sin offering, which has happened with every one of them. But it says, this is in addition to the regular daily offerings that you do, as well as the two goats that you do for atonement. So it's interesting that all these, you know, they're, they're all there. If you sit there and read all this, it's all in there. Okay, now this, this one, of course, happens. This one has also got that unique verse, you must deny yourselves. None of the rest of them say you must deny yourselves. And so what that has traditionally come to mean is that you fast. So this is the day. This is the one feast that's not a feast. Fast. That's fine. There's a lot of good studies on, on that. Okay, so this is the second of the three fall feasts. The big 
the big kahuna is the last one, right? So, any questions about this one? Okay, yes. The one that says you should do no work as opposed to the regular work. Okay, yeah. okay. So, Alfonso, you want to read? So, you can read from verse 12 to the end of the chapter. And on the 15th day of the seventh month, you have a Kodesh gathering. You do no survival work, and you shall celebrate a festival to Yahweh seven days. And you shall bring near a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, a sweet fragrance to Yahweh. Thirteen young bulls, two rams, fourteen lambs a year old, perfect ones they are. And their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenth parts for each of the thirteen bulls, two-tenth parts of each of the two rams, and one-tenth part of each of the fourteen lambs and one male goat as a sin offering because of the continual burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. Then on the second day, 12 young bulls, two rams, 14 lambs a year old, perfect ones, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs, by their number according to their right ruling. And one male goat as a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering with his grain offering and their drink offerings, and on the third day, 11 bulls, two rams, 14 lambs, a year old, perfect ones. And their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number, according to the right ruling. And one goat as a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. Then on the fourth day, two bulls, two rams, 14 lambs, a year old, perfect ones. And their grain offerings and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, by their number, according to the right ruling. And one male goat as a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. Then on the fifth day, nine bulls, two rams, 14 lambs a year old, perfect ones, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number, according to the right ruling. And one goat as a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. Then on the sixth day, eight bulls, two rams, 14 lambs, a year old, perfect ones, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number, according to the right ruling. And one goat as a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. Then on the seventh day, seven bulls, two rams, 14 lambs, a year old, perfect ones, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, by their number, according to the right ruling. And one goat as a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the eighth day you have an assembly, you do no servile work. And you shall bring near a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, a sweet fragrance to Yahweh. One bull, one ram, seven lambs your old, perfect ones. Their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bull, for the ram, and for the lambs, by their number, according to the right ruling. And one goat as a sin offering, besides the continual burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. These you prepare to Yahweh at your appointed times, besides your vowed offerings and your voluntary offerings, as your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, as you drink offerings and your peace offerings. And Moshe spoke to the children of Israel according to all Yahweh had commanded Moshe. Okay, thanks. So, as you can see, Sukkot's the big kahuna, right? Um, and so, if you list them all out, like I did here, you find, you know, here's daily and everything, but then Sukkot takes this whole bunch of them. What, 
you know, that sounded amazingly repetitious. What was changing in each one of those? One less. The number of bulls, right? One less every day. One less, yeah. So what do you add up? What do they all add up to? Okay, Lisa wants to say something about the number of bulls. Count of the bulls becomes seventy, and it's an offering for the Gentile nations. That's what that's what they say, that it's an offering for all of the nations. Then uh, and and it, because Sukkot um, is a gathering. Just because that's what they say well, doesn't no, mean that we have to make it work here. No, it actually that's what it is. Okay. I, well, no, I mean. You know, you can say that that's what they say. No, you but said I, that. Well, I'm just saying that that it's 70 offerings, and there's 70 nations okay, all together. Well, I tell you what, I would like to see you go back and put that together. I bet you can. Yeah. Why don't you go figure that out? That would be useful. I never had heard that. But 70 means nations. 70 is the number of nations. Right. Yeah, I give you that. But I never, I mean, if you add them all up here, I'm not sure it comes out to 70. It might. Did you add them up? Okay. Either way, I like Lisa's explanation of that because when I started noticing the countdown on that, I hope I'm not blaspheming anything on this, but I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, and a partridge in a pear tree. Yeah. And I'd rather have her explanation. No, I, I appreciate that. If that's really what that means, I'd, I'd like to know that too. That was another question. Do you know what it means? I, I but, do not. Okay. As a matter of fact, all of this leaves me just a little bit uncomfortable in that this is a very interesting chapter. It lists virtually all of the required sacrifices for a year. All of them for a year. Now, it says in the very last verse there, it says, In addition to what you vow and your free will offerings, prepare these for Yahweh at your appointed feasts. So in other words... This is the minimum, okay? Now, if you want to bring other free will offerings and other vows and, and bring those, you can do that too, but this is the require. This is, as John would say, this is what the contract requirements are, right? This is the minimum contract requirement. Yeah. So just to do, you start at 13, ignore the, the day 8. That was actually not on Sukkot. That's actually the great day. But anyway, if you take Why, 13... Okay, go ahead. 13, the first one, and the last day, 7, which is the number 7, that's 20. Mm -hmm. You go down 1, 12, go up 1 from the bottom, that's, that's 40. 8, that's 12, 20, that's 40. Yep. Then 11 and 9, that's 60, and then the middle one is 10, so that's 70. If you don't count the day 8. Day 8, yeah. That's, okay, there that's you are, 70. 70 bowls. Right, on Sukkot, because the day 8, it technically isn't Sukkot. Well, it's the feast, know, it's the funny. high, it's the great day. It's sort of like, yum. it's sort of like... I, I get a little confused about some of that stuff because, you know, when you go, to me, if you read it in the Torah, that's where you need to start. And not, I know, it says that. It talks about the last great day. The day, the day where is, does it talk about that? In the, it is written somewhere. Well... <laughs> So let it be written, so let it be said. Well, the, the, eighth, the eighth day is the end of the feast, so it's still the same feast that starts at 
yeah. Sukkot, and it ends the eighth day. So the whole feast is considered one feast from day one to day eight. That's what I, I, I'm not arguing about this. It's just that I really wanted to stick with what the Torah says. Because once you get off in the field talking about, well, somebody thinks this and somebody thinks that, then you don't have any place to, to found it. It's founded on the Torah. This is the contract, John. <laughs> is Lisa allowed to speak? The eighth day is always considered the day of restoration. It's always considered the day of the beginning. And, and it's always considered that. And, and um, the eighth day, it's Shemini, it's Seret. It is a different, you know, I'm not saying it's totally different, but it is a different day. It's not, it's not added in with the other seven. Because... It, it just, you know, it, it's, it's a beginning. It's the beginning of the rain. Well, luckily we're out of time. Wait. Okay, now, I have something that's founded right here that I okay. have a question okay, on. Okay, good. Okay, just want to make sure. Day one and day eight, it says no work. It says no what? It says no work. Yes. It doesn't on any of the other days. That's right. Correct? Yep. No, no. Those, okay. those two end days are special days. You meet, those are, those are the, I forgot the term that they use for it, but they're, they're, they're the Shabbats within the holiday. Shabbats within the holiday. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Okay. So they are different on purpose, but that was a good catch. You read this stuff. You know, I can't tell you how many years I spent reading through this stuff. And like Alfonso says, it's, it's our, you know, <laughs> a partridge in a pear tree, I guess was Bobby that said that. It just seems so repetitive. But if you go back and you look at it, there's things that are happening here. I wouldn't have caught the 70 thing, so thank you for that. Okay. We're, um, next week, we're not going to meet, right? Uh, the, you can read it if you want, yeah. Why don't you let me close in prayer? Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for your, your Torah. Thank you for the instructions that are in it. Thank you for the challenges that it leads us to. Uh, but thank you that you've made it perfect and you've made it for us to learn from. And I just ask that you'd help us to all figure out what it is that you want us to do and how we can behave, how we can conduct our lives in a, in a manner that's pleasing to you. I ask that you'd take care of us and keep us safe until we meet again, not next week, the week after. In Yeshua's name, amen. Okay, Pat.